Uh, take your Bibles, go to Second Peter chapter number 1. I, I was thinking with the good weather, the good attendance, seeing people that we've missed for so long, I feel like a million bucks today. How about you? Two million? Uh, maybe you're like the wealthy guy that um, the teacher in um, sixth grade arithmetic class was talking to her class and said there was a wealthy man who died and he left $10 million to his loved ones. He left uh, a fifth to his wife, a fifth of it to his son, a one-sixth of that inheritance to his butler, and the rest, he said, I want to go to charity. And so the teacher said, uh, what did each one get? Silence in the classroom after just a, you know five or ten seconds. A little boy over in the corner sincerely raised his hand, and he said, a lawyer. <laughs> That's what everyone got. All right. Second Peter, chapter number 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 16. Second Peter 1, verse number 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. So I'm so glad for that, that we've got the Bible. Amen. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And of course, that's talking about Peter, James, and John being on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ. They heard that voice as eyewitnesses. But then he says in verse number 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. If you were to hear the voice of God speaking audibly, the Bible teaches us that we have something that's even more sure in the Bible. Now, I'd like to hear God's voice, and there are times when I've got a major decision to make that it sure would be nice, God, if you would just audibly speak to me and tell me what you want me to do, because I don't want to mess this up. But God doesn't do that in this day and age. He gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit, as we've been talking about on Wednesday night. He gives us the written Word of God so that we don't have to worry about, well, did I maybe hear Him wrong or perceive Him wrong? We can always go to the Bible and know what God has to say about uh, all of the things in life that we deal with. And so the Bible is more important than a miraculous hearing of the voice of God. Once again, verse number 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn... And the day star arise in your hearts. That day star is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. Let me say that once again. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The message this morning comes from the last phrase of the last verse we just read, and I want to speak about holy men of God. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless 
our time together in the message today. Father in heaven, it is so good to be in church today. And Lord, with time change and all that's been going on, Lord, I got to be honest, I kind of expected the crowd to be down. I kind of expected there to be kind of a lethargic atmosphere. And Lord, I'm so, uh, I'm so thankful and uh, pleasantly surprised. And I'm so glad that uh, uh, what I thought in my faithlessness is uh, certainly not the way that you are working today. And so I thank you and I praise you. And I pray, God, that this would be a time that would be life-changing. Lord, we're looking for a great meeting next week, but Lord, maybe you'd do something to plow deep in our hearts today to prepare us for what you have next week. I think about how you sent John the Baptist as a forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray that this message today would prepare the way for your blessings and what you want us to do and be uh, here in the near future. We need a Holy Spirit refreshing, a revival, if you will. God, we need a move of God in our lives, and I pray, God, that you would bless us today. Have your will and way in Jesus' name. Amen. Holy men of God, I want to speak to you about God's man here today. Now, the term man of God or God's man is not exclusively referring to gender. But at the same token, let me say that it is not in the Bible gender equal. Uh, All of this gender nonsense that we hear today, and young people, please listen to me, the gender nonsense that you hear in the schoolhouse and on the media and through Hollywood is a bunch of satanic nonsense. God made them male and female. When you are born a boy, you're supposed to grow up and be a man. When you're born a girl, you're supposed to grow up and be a woman. And a man is supposed to marry a woman. That is the way that our Creator designed it. You say, well, preacher, what about this and what about that? Listen, the exception should never become the rule. If we make the exception the rule, then we are foolish. I mean extremely foolish. I mean, there are all kinds of things. There are people that are born with physical infirmities and defects because of this sin-cursed world. And you don't take and judge God based on what is happening here in this sin-cursed earth. You cannot change God. And that's exactly what has happened in modern culture today is man has attempted to create a God that is after man's image. And we can try to fool ourselves all that we want, but the bottom line is we are created by God in God's image, and that's the way our culture and that's the way our worldview is supposed to be. Don't listen to the devil's lies and don't let him permeate your thought process with political correctness and gender neutrality. Listen, I want to, when, when I have to uh, take care of business, I want to go to the men's room and I want ladies to go to the ladies' room. Hey, I, I'm long past playing sports, but let me tell you something. There should be men's locker rooms and there should be ladies' locker rooms. Anything aside from that is confusion and perversion and it shows that we have become a sick society. Now, I didn't prepare to say any of that, but I'm glad that I did. The term is not exclusively gender. 
Now, when we think about the term God's man, I want to say this, that God's man has God's calling on his life. And yes, indeed, God does call men. And because the term man is not exclusively gender, uh, certainly God has a purpose for every man and for every woman. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listen, if you're, whether you're saved or lost, I've got news for you without any uh, any uh, threat of apology or any fear of contradiction, God has a purpose for your life. If you're not saved, the number one purpose you need to focus on is, I better get born again. But if you're saved, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has, he has his ideas and his will as to who he wants you to marry He has ideas as to where he wants you to live and uh, what he wants you to do in service for him. Listen, I'm not talking exclusively about preachers or missionaries or any position. I'm talking about born-again Christians. Listen, God has a purpose for your life. And you would do yourself a huge favor if you would seek and be willing and say, God, I want to surrender to your plan and purpose for my life. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, well, what is that plan and purpose? As soon as God shows me what his plan and purpose is, then I'll, maybe I'll surrender to it. <laughs> you, know, you know what? You just got gonged in heaven. <laughs> some of you older people know what being gonged is. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you pray and, and you say, God, I need, I need to find out what your will is. And you know what you hear? Me, 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 me. You get a busy signal. Because it's not the way our Heavenly Father works. Our Heavenly Father says, surrender to my will, and I will show you my will. But God, I want to know what it is. God says, if you won't trust me, then there's no point in me even telling you what I want you to do. Here am I, Lord. Send me, Isaiah said. And so God's man has God's calling. God called Moses. God called Samuel, God called David, certainly God called Paul. And while all of those men had some miraculous callings of God, listen, not everyone has a Damascus Road. I didn't have a Damascus Road experience. I I didn't have like Samuel, uh, the Holy Spirit speaking audibly and saying, Randy, Randy. And I didn't get up and go into my dad's room and say, did you call dad? (laughs) Go, go, go back to sleep, son. I didn't have an experience like that. But I do know this. I know what God did in my life. And I know how God revealed his will to me. And I will say this, that God didn't show me what he wanted until I said, God, I'm surrendered. Whatever you want out of my life, that's what I want. And I am willing to do. You open the door and God, I am committed to walk through that door I want my life to be totally what you want it to be. I've got news for you. There is no better way to live as a child of God. No better way to live than to be surrendered to God's calling for our life. Next, I'd like to say this. God's man has God's power. Now, all power is not the same. There's all different kinds of power. Uh, sometimes I wish that I had uh, Elijah power. 
like 2 Kings 1, verse number 10. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. I, I love that story in, in the, the book of 2 Kings. And, you know, when that, I think it was the third captain of 50 showed up. And, and you could just see it in your mind when he comes up and, you know, uh, <laughs> Elijah, come down, please. Because <laughs> he knew about the previous two captains of 50. I mean, God's, uh, Elijah's calling down fire. Now, I, probably, truth be known, it's a great thing that God hasn't given this preacher that power. <laughs> Aren't you glad? I mean, sometimes we think, oh, I wish I had that power, but really we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we, we wouldn't know how to use it. Uh, next, God's man is not limited to age, background, etc. I'm even going to go out on a limb and say God's man is not limited to uh, the Baptist movement. You know, there's some great men of God that have never even been in a Baptist church. And I'm not saying that being a Baptist isn't important to me. It is. But... Uh, <laughs> God's men are not exclusively Baptist. Uh, God has a way of calling and choosing men, and it doesn't matter how old you are. Listen, young men, you can be a man of God. Young ladies, you can be a woman of God. Paul said to Timothy, who was a young preacher in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 through 12, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. So Paul, the man of God, referred to Timothy as the man of God. You don't have to be a Paul or Elijah or a Samuel or a David to be a man of God. You just have to be surrendered and following the Lord and being the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And so holy men of God. Now, my first point, that was all just introductory stuff, but my first point is this. What does holy mean. If holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, I think it would be good for all of us to know what a holy man of God is. We have a tendency today to be afraid of the term holy. Uh, we think that it means that we, we, we float around and, and just kind of hum to ourselves. Oh. I, I don't know if we think that we're supposed to be some type of a Asian monk or, or, or what that means in our minds. I think sometimes the term holiness has been hijacked by the charismatic movement. And we think that it means some kind of crazy, supposedly miraculous manifestations and so forth. But the term holy is a term that we should not be ashamed of or afraid of. Holiness can be described, but it cannot be defined. In fact, I'm not even going to give you a Webster's 1828 dictionary because down deep we really know what the term holy means and we can describe it, but we cannot define it in the sense that we really feel like the definition is adequate. The Bible says in Psalm 99 and verse number 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is what? God is holy. And so God is holy, so God is holiness. If you want to describe or you want to know what holy means, just think about everything 
that the Word of God tells us that God is. Now, the holiness of God, it is a special uh, ground of reverence, awe, and adoration. Remember what Isaiah did when he saw the Lord high and lifted up? The Bible says that he fell upon his face to the ground and he saw himself the way that he really was. He said, he said, uh, woe is me for I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Listen, when we see God in his holiness and the standard of holiness that comes from God, then what happens is that holiness ends up uh, showing or revealing a divine opposition to and condemnation of all sin. In fact, the more that we contemplate on the holiness of God, the more that it awakens or deepens the human consciousness of sin. I don't know how many of you have ever read any sermons from these great men of God of yesteryear. I mean, all the way back to the Dark Ages, certainly uh, back to the post-Dark Ages and the 1500s and post-Reformation and all the way into the great awakening of this great nation. I mean, and I could name many of them. Uh, you, could talk, you could talk about men like uh, Moody and Sunday and Finney and Whitfield and Wesley, and you could go all the way back to these great Jonathan Edwards. Oswald Chambers, and the list could go on and on and on. If you've ever read any of their books or writings or sermons, you will notice a common theme that has not been a common theme for the last 75 years of Christianity. In fact, modern Christians would find most of those writings boring. What do they, what do they write about? What do they talk about? What do they preach about? The holiness of God, the holiness of God, the holiness of God, the holiness of God. Common theme. And back in those days, you know what would happen? Men's conscience would be awakened to their sinful condition. I can't remember the last time that I saw a human soul. I mean, we witness to people, we tell them about sin and salvation... And so often you just see this blank look on their face. Sometimes we preach to congregations and we just see a blank look on their face. When we focus and contemplate, listen, if you ever want God to really work in your life and transform you, and I know we say that as preachers, but the reality of it is, is most people really don't want their lives to be transformed. We say, oh, if you'll trust Jesus Christ, he'll change your life. And the modern believer is sitting there going, That's not in- that doesn't interest me at all. I'm okay with my life. Just don't awaken my conscience because the, the preacher, you just ruined my life. <laughs> no, the preacher didn't ruin your life. Your life was ruined and you just didn't know it because the devil had you deceived and lulled to sleep. The preacher comes along and awakens the conscience. Why? Because he tells you about the holiness of God. First Peter chapter number one, verse number 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation 
because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That is what God says that all of us should aspire to is holiness. Why? Because He called us to salvation and He is holy. And that is the reason that He saved us is that men, that sinners might become holy. It's not just so that you can have your ticket to heaven and not have to worry about going to hell. That's a benefit. That's not the purpose. The purpose that God saves us is that He might be glorified, and He is glorified when sinful man starts behaving holy like He is. Hey, there's nothing more fulfilling to any parent than to see their children uh, uh, their children succeeding and, and doing the right things and following their wisdom and their teaching. It glorifies our parents when we do that, and in the same sense, When we follow and say, God, I want to be like you, it glorifies him. It pleases him. Just like Peter and James and John heard on that Mount of Transfiguration where the voice came down from heaven, this is my beloved son. I I can't even imitate that. This is my beloved son. Maybe, Maybe it sounded like Charlton Heston. I don't know. But this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They heard God say that about His Son. If you would like to hear God say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, then we need to aspire to holiness in our life. Number two, I want us to focus on the phrase, holy men. The term man or men is sometimes gender neutral and refers to mankind. How do I know that? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Oh, oh wait, that's not what that means. What, what he means is he'll have all the elect to be saved. I'm joking. That's not true. That's what the Calvinists say. They have to do a, really a, a, a two-step around this verse because this says that God's not willing that any should perish who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It is the will of God for everyone to be saved. So sorry, Reformed theologians and John Calvin and all of these favorite authors and preachers of this day and age. And by the way, Calvinism has taken a stronghold in Christianity today. That's all I have time to say about that. It's not true. Sometimes the term holy men or the term man has nothing to do with gender, but rather it's referring to maturity and strength. In 1 Samuel chapter number 4, we have a story where the Philistines, uh, the children of Israel have been battling with the Philistines. The Philistines had been winning the battle. And so the children of Israel, under Saul's leadership, they get this brilliant idea, let's take the ark out to battle because the ark, that's the presence of God. And surely, uh, surely the presence of God will win the battle. And what happened is them taking the ark out to battle actually 
ended up backfiring because when the Philistines saw the ark of God, it motivated them and they knew that, hey, we, we're, we're toast here. We're dead. We might as well, as they said, be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And so that ark became a rallying cry, not for God's people, but for the enemy. And so the term man often refers to maturity and strength. In some cases, courage in battle and so forth. Which brings me to the next point. A man has courage. Not only did the Philistines say this, but Later on, God's people said in 2 Samuel 10, 12, Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth Him good. When we talk about strength and courage and, and maturity, we're talking about uh, being a man. A man has stamina. 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 13, Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. That word quit, it's an old English word. It doesn't mean to be a quitter. Isn't it interesting how that some words in the English language, they morph to where their common usage is exactly the opposite of what they originally meant. This is one of those words. So quit you like men. The the word quit means to act like a man. We would say in modern terminology, it's time to man up. And uh, brothers, I can't really say this to you sisters. My wife could, but, you know, I'm not going to tell you ladies to man up. But I will say this. There are times in the Christian life where things aren't going well for us, where we get down in the dumps, we have emotional problems, We have circumstantial problems, relational problems, financial problems, and every fiber in our being says, just quit. You don't have to face it, just quit. And for most of God's people, we already know what the Word of God says. I I, I tell you, nine out of ten times whenever I'm giving pastoral advice to someone, most of the people that I give counsel to, they already know what I'm going to say. They've heard, they've heard the, the sermons. They already know they're just down in the dumps and can't seem to, can't seem to shake it and do what they know to do. So I, I try not to beat people over the head with the truth that they already know because sometimes it's not that they don't know what to do. It's that they just don't have the strength to do it. And there are times, believe it or not, where the best counsel that I've ever given was not a poem or a special prayer or a Bible verse to hang on to, but simply looking a brother in the eye and say, you know what, you're just going to have to man up. You say, well, that's not scriptural. Well, it seems like it is because that's what God's people told one another, quit you like men and be strong. Sometimes if we don't feel like we're strong, we don't feel like we're brave, we've just got to quit like we are. We've got to act like we are 
And if we'll start acting like we're strong and brave and courageous, then pretty soon we'll start feeling like we're strong and brave and courageous. If you wait till you feel like it, then you're never going to be it. You just got to do what's right and let the feelings follow. So a man has courage. A man has stamina. A man has understanding. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.20. He said, Brethren, be not children in understanding. There are things that we don't know that we're supposed to know. And that's typical of the average Christian in 2021. The average Christian doesn't know even a tenth of what he ought to know. How else could modern Christianity get duped by this modern, liberal, worldly, sensual movement that's called Christianity in the modern emergent church today? How do they get suckered into that? Because they got marketed. They got emotionalized. I mean, it's the truth. You make somebody, you, you stir somebody's emotions. I've said this before. I've been in meetings where the, the preacher got up and he didn't have God anywhere near him, but he had a lot of stories and he had a lot of charisma and he made people have an emotional experience and they responded. I've been in services where they pass the offering plate at the end of the sermon, and oh, the offering was big. Why? Because when people's emotions get stirred, then uh, it's a whole lot easier to turn loose of that green stuff that they've been hanging on so tightly. So much of it today is just emotional manipulation. And why, why do they get away with it? Because God's people are ignorant of the Word of God. They don't see it. But God says, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children. There's some things that are malice. Uh, listen, the Bible says we should be wise unto that which is good, but simple concerning that which is evil. There's a lot of evil out in this world that we don't even need to know that it goes on out there. We should be simple and ignorant. There's things, listen, I don't want to be informed about all of the nonsense and wickedness that goes on in this world. I'd rather just be simple-minded and not even know that it goes on. You say, well, that, that might get you in trouble. Yeah, it's got me in trouble a few times. I mean, I, I've done some things that if I would have known, it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Something that was worldly and wicked, and I didn't even know it was. But I would much rather be simple and, um, and not know about all of the stuff out there, but be wise concerning that which is good. I'd like to know the Bible and not necessarily be in touch with the things of this world. This is my favorite I guess I should say one of my favorites. It might be my favorite poem. And, um, you know, I appreciate Miss uh, Dot TV Paw. She's written some poems over the years that have encouraged this pastor's heart uh, just like, like nothing else could. I'm not, I'm not huge into reading poetry and 
uh, all the different poetry books. But this, uh, this poem has always spoke to my heart, and perhaps maybe it'll speak to yours as well. It's a poem entitled, If, by Rudyard Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop, and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings, and risk it all on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son." Poem always speaks to me. My last point this morning is I want to talk about the term men of God. Jesus said in John 17 and verse number 14, he says, I have given them thy word. The world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So Jesus says that there are men that are of God, and there are men that are of the world. Regarding men of the world, David said it like this in Psalm 17 and verse number 14, "...from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world." Men of the world, what are they like? He says, they have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with hidden treasure. Oh, listen, God blesses, God sends His rain upon the just and the unjust. Don't ever think for a minute that just because you're prosperous that you have the blessings of God upon us. There are multi, um, I mean, just so many uh, men and people that are completely wicked and God is nowhere near their life and they have fame and they have fortune and they have success and they have glory. Listen, you cannot, Mark, you cannot say just because I have the things that I desire that God is the one that's doing it. 
I am convinced from the Scripture as well as personal observation that sometimes Satan will bless a man to keep him away from God. Men who are of this world which have their portion in this life, whose belly thou fillest with hid treasures, they are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. There's so much that we could comment on that. But basically what David's talking about, he's talking about men who succeed in life, and then when it's all said and done, they, they have, they're full, they have the things that they want, and then they die, and whatever they made in this life, they leave it to their children, and then their children go and do the same thing. And you just have this cycle of men in the world, but none of that has anything to do with Jesus Christ or God or heaven. What a contrast between men of this world and men of God. Then the Bible refers to men of the flesh. Romans 8, verse number 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You're either a man of the Spirit or you're a man of the flesh. It just depends on whoever you're following. And then, of course, we also know that there are men of the devil, because uh, Jesus talked about it in First John, or excuse me, John did. Uh, Jesus talked about it. He said, "Ye are of your father, the devil." But John talked about it in First John chapter number three. Now, as we read this passage of scripture, I want you to just kind of forget about what we don't understand about this text. This is a controversial passage of scripture. But I want you to forget about the controversy, and I want you to see the gist of it, because there is an overall gist that we all need to get here. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin, because he is born of God." In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. How many times have I preached it from this pulpit? And yes, it is unpopular preaching. But there is no doubt in my mind that these people who say they got saved when they were seven years old and never live for God and never live righteously and never have any of God's chastisement in their life, and I mean God's people mean nothing to them, Serving God means nothing to them. They don't even shed a tear when you talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. I am convinced that that is not a person. I don't care what they prayed as a seven-year-old child in vacation Bible school. I'm not going to say, oh, they're on their way to heaven because they said that prayer. No way, no how. Now, if they're saved, praise the Lord. I hope they are. I'm just not going to say it, and I'm not going to convince myself or convince them that they are when the Word of God simply clarifies here and says that it is manifest. You want to you wanna find out who God's children are and who the devil's children are? Look at their sin life. Preacher, are you saying that if I commit one sin, then... I'm of the devil. Uh, I'm not saying that, I mean, if that's the case, then I would have to say I'm not saved. 
Notice that the, the end of that passage says that whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That means that inside I am, I am cleansed of my sin and my soul cannot sin. That seed remains in me. And, and there's no, there's no roundup that the devil can spray on me to destroy that seed. And so when I get off track and I get sin in my life and I get all dirty, then that seed that remains in me and the Holy Spirit of God is inside of me and He begins to try to cleanse me. He may take me behind the woodshed. He may send a preacher or a circumstance. He may do this or that to try to get me back into a life of righteousness and holiness because I'm His child and that's how I'm supposed to live. The best way I know to describe it Listen, if you've been around farm animals and critters, you know that all kinds of crazy things can happen. You take a sheep. A sheep can stumble into a hog pen and get stuck and waller around and all of that beautiful white wool can get all just saturated. And you look at it at a distance and you'd say, that's a pig. After all, you expect to see a hog in a hog pen. But then you get closer and you realize, no, that's a lamb. It's just been stuck and wallowing around in all of that muck. It smells like a pig. Do you know what? How long you reckon, how long you reckon that lamb is going to survive in that hog pen? Not very long. It'll have no nutrition. It's not designed to survive or thrive in the hog pen. The hog pen will kill the lamb. That's why the farmer has to come along and has to rescue that lamb and try to get that lamb out of the hog pen. That's the same way in a Christian life. You want to know the manifestation. How can you tell who's of God and who's of the devil? Well, look at your sin life. And when you sin... How does it affect your life? If it's no big deal, I'd say that you need to do a serious look in the mirror and uh, start realizing that maybe I've never been saved. John 8, verse 47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. What a difference there is between a holy man of God and a man of the world, a man of the flesh, and a man of the devil. In conclusion, if you still have your Bible open to our original text, uh, I want you to look at the last part of verse number 21, where it says, But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The last thing that I want us all to know is that if you want to be a holy man or woman or child of God, then it's imperative that God is able to move us. We've got so many stubborn, stiff-necked people that claim to be Christians today that I ain't changing I ain't budging. Doesn't matter what the preacher said. Preacher, you can try to, to sing me to the altar. You can try to 
try to tell stories and get my get tears running down my cheeks. You can try to make me shout, or you can browbeat me, give me a guilt trip, make me feel dirty, rotten, embellish the Word of God. You can be intimidating, give all that venom to where I'm scared of you, and so I want to respond to the message. Listen, I have seen all of those from a pulpit in a church service before. You can do all of those, but listen, if you don't want to move, then you ain't going to move. And if you want to be a man, woman, child of God, then it is imperative that we learn how to allow God to move us, to be moved by the Holy Ghost. The last thing that I want to show you here this morning is in Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 10, the warning that Peter gives. He says, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, despise government, presumptuous are they, watch this, self-willed, self-willed. Sometimes we, um, we don't realize how satanic and how presumptuous and how unclean that self-will of the human heart can be. God's given us the warning And so we have a decision to make today. Do I want to be a holy man, woman, or child of God? Or do I want to be like the world or the flesh or the devil? Do I want to be pliable and yield to the Holy Spirit in my life? Or am I going to be stubborn and self-willed and saying, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to budge. No, God, I'm not interested. Just leave me alone. I remember... Uh, 1984, I uh, can't remember the date, it was one month after I graduated from high school. And I remember when the Holy Spirit tried to move me in my life. Oh, I was making some horrible decisions. I was getting ready to do something that night that I knew was wrong. And I'd been looking forward to it a long time. And the Holy Spirit showed up and warned me, and tried to move me and said, Don't do it, son. Don't do it. And I shook God off and I said, no, not now, God. Don't try to move me now. Don't try to change me. I have been looking forward to this fun. And you know what? God wasn't trying to ruin my fun. God was trying to rescue me from a bunch of heartache. And I I didn't move. And in stubbornness and in self-will, I went ahead with my plans And I suffered for it, not only that night, but I suffered for many, many years to come because of that one moment when God spoke to my heart and I said, no, not now. Maybe later, God, but not now. We would all do ourselves a great favor if we would be holy men of God and just yield to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that you have a plan for my life and I know that you know what's best. Don't you agree, folks, that our Creator, our God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for our sins, don't you think if we can trust Him for our salvation, why can we not trust Him with our day-to-day lives? We've got a decision to make. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let's